0: Hey, 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 y'all. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm turning off my volume. Thank you so much for joining the full set. My name is Deedee Dee, motherfucking Delgado. I'm your host sex with the most sex. And I am here with my esteemed colleague, none other than Kay Martinez.
1: Kay, how are you feeling today? Hey, everybody. I'm good. You know, good. It's the same time I'm sitting here, you know, content warning, have my cabernet next to me uh winding down from the day and really excited to be here talking about all the things yes yes we're here to talk about all the
0: things so if y'all don't know what the fuck i know i'm about to let y'all know first of all early i'm putting up the payment links if y'all don't know uh kay can be reached on venmo on cash app and also you can make donations to the transgenderemergencyfund.org. Gang gang pin comment. Got no excuse. It's always at the top. Where's the link? It's at the top. I can't find the link. It's at the top. I want to introduce you to Kay Martinez because y'all have to know what I'm learning. I feel like I learned so much about you. I just we're gonna talk about all the things I feel like I'm learning about you. Okay. But let's do the basics. So for those of y'all who don't know, um, Kay Martinez. M-A, is that a masters of art?
1: It is, it is. Nigga, I don't
0: be knowing all these letters. Until I get my shit, I'm not gonna care about it. I'm just letting you know. Um, (laughs) Pronouns are they and them and theirs. Is an Afro-Latinx, gender non-conformer, bang. K is a speaker, curriculum designer, writer, and model. They have over a decade of professional experience directing diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in universities. And most recently as a consultant, partnering with leading tech, Corporate and nonprofit clients. Ooh, we got some things to talk about. As a writer, they have published research and op eds on the political climate for queer, trans, BIPOC, or Black, Indigenous people of color in the US at the intersections of race, gender, and sexuality. They have been published in the Huffington Post, Vogue, Italia, Wear Your Voice magazine. Shout out to Lara Witt um, and Race Bader. Shout out to Harry Zaid, Hess Love, all of them. They were also named Dapper Q's 100 Most Stylish of 2019. I would agree with this. I also feel like you would have running for 2020, but I'ma mind my business. Hey, hey. Kay has an MA in higher education from Boston College and is currently the Associate Director, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and in adjunct faculty at Massachusetts General Hospital Institute of Health professions. Y'all better drop some coins on this motherfucker today. Kay, welcome to the full set. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for that. And yes. I want to say any donations to me today will be forwarded to the uh, Massachusetts Transgender Emergency Fund. Uh, I showed up for their action this weekend. Thank you to the Black trans women who organized that. Uh, so yeah, all money sent to me will go right to them.
0: So thank you for letting us know that too. I also wanna say I'm concerned. <laughs> so when I was like, hey, okay, I'll be in town for like a week, maybe two. You was like, oh, we can figure out selectively social distancing. And then I'm like, okay, so like, okay, we're gonna put up this transgender emergency fund link. Dah, dah, dah. You were like, yeah, I went to the action. I was like, hold up, hold up, fam. What's popping? like, how do we make determinations, especially with Juneteenth coming up? Like, how do you make determinations about what's important for you?
1: Yeah, so I have been self-quarantining, sheltering in place since, you know, before it was like official, official. Once I started seeing the news on this, you know, I, w- I was home with my my family, my brother and I, my parents were in Ecuador. So I'm Afro-Latinx, my family's Ecuadorian. Um, And so my brother and I were chilling together. Uh, Yeah, and I didn't play. We only went like to the grocery store, we went inside, I bought like- He was
0: like, I didn't play.
1: masks, hand (laughs) sanitizers, like all the things, like I was ready. Um, And I was very grateful and very fortunate to be able to work from home right now. My institution pivoted to online and yeah, I was not going anywhere, but then, you know, George Floyd protests, Breonna Taylor, um, Tony McDade, all these situations blew up. And so I started watching people in Minneapolis and Kentucky and all over the country just starting to, to show up. And I just wanna say, pause, that before all that popped off, we saw white men with AK-47s and guns- That militia shit. Yeah, roll out to, what was it, like Michigan? I think, in other states to, you know, demonstrate. So they were like the, among the first people out here, you know, protesting um, without masks, right? Right. Well, then I think once um, the George Floyd situation became more prominent that we saw more people protesting. So I was in Philly a couple of weeks ago. So one thing you should know about me is like, I'm, I've moved around a lot. I've been I know, lot I
0: can't keep up with you. I'm like, where are you now?
1: I am trying to slow down. <laughs> I am okay. in Chelsea, Massachusetts right now, my condo from Brighton originally. But yeah, I was there with my partner. Um, they moved out of their space in Brooklyn. So COVID-19 mm-hmm. is making people reevaluate where they're living, people are losing jobs, they got to relocate. Like New York, there's a mass you know, migration of people, exodus, people who have the means, um, and people who are losing their jobs that can't pay rent anymore. Um, my partner decided that she didn't want to pay rent New York if they're not going to be going outside so you know let's save some money so I went down there helped her move she's in Philly for a minute and we're in Philly and that's when the protests erupted so Philly very active shout out Philly um love y'all helicopters explosion cars on fire all of that um I didn't go out in Philly my partner um recently hurt her ankle so we couldn't go out and that was new for me to be in the streets obviously our work with BLM Cambridge, that's a part of who we are, it's a part of what we've done. And I've never not been up, been on the streets. Um, so we engaged in different ways. And then when I moved back to Boston two weeks ago, I saw that- Two I- weeks ago? Yeah, officially- moved Everybody always come
0: home. I feel it. Everybody always come home. I hate it here.
1: <laughs> that's another combo we can have. I'm a homeowner. I was renting this out. Okay. Um, so moved back into my spot. Uh, and I saw that action, and that's the first time I've been out near people. I would not be outside if it wasn't, you know, a Black trans woman-led situation. Right. I'm leaving my house, Um, and I did, and I went. What I noticed, uh, most people wore masks. Almost everybody wore a mask.
0: Everyone was in PPE, it seemed like.
1: Yeah, they were handing out face shields, plastic shields. Word. Two white folks that had, like, a little wheelbarrow. They're handing that out, so shout out to them, um there were people handing out masks if you needed it so that was taken care of um logistically it's hard to keep your distance because right the way we were moving like you could only stay on one side of the street so people were kind of packed together I tried to move to the sides of the streets because I'm not trying to be that you know locked into people right it was hard um I also want to say you know this is a conversation I'm glad you're here for I'm not sure me Yes, you specifically. And the, the, Me the, specifically? A tactical Stop. situation because we're on, we're on the streets. I wrote a Facebook post about this. Okay. Where the Black Trans Women in the Front organized a march and they had like a megaphone and they were, you know, we were stopped in the middle of the street. Several streets were like in Dudley um, moving through. And I was like maybe six rows, seven rows of people behind the very front. And they called mic check on several like, several occasions, you know, we in the middle right. of the People in the back behind me kept chanting, kept saying, you know, Black Trans Lives Matter, all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, the Black women at the front are actually trying to talk to you right now. Right. And you're drowning them out with your Black Trans Lives Matter chant and, you know, screaming with a mask on, like, mic check, mic check. So I actually, like, took my, I moved my mouth, um, you know, I moved my mask down so I could yell back. And I was like, yo, mic check. And people just kind of looked at me like either they didn't know what that was or they didn't care. Right. Like, how are we educating folks who may be taking the streets right now? Who have never done that before on logistics on the, on the ground you know and this was like a pretty like non-confrontational situation like we didn't have police with tear gas like none of that stuff and so like if we're not educated on like logistics on the ground i don't know that we can like escalate situations so i left with that you know also a funny thing the chance right like i think when we were together blmk were together you know, we like talked to people, we like did the chants together. Right. Um, and there's like a new generation that I don't know that they know those things. So I'm just kind of peeping that I think we have new folks in the ground, which is really exciting. And I'm like, who educates them about some of the things we've learned uh, before? So like one example, you know, what do we want justice when do we want it now? Mm-hmm. My favorite part of that chant is if we don't get it, shut it down. Right. And like, it wasn't happening until people are like. It. I don't know what to say next. <laughs> <laughs> I kept doing it. I kept doing it. I was like, y'all, there's an ending to this chant. Like it goes three times. You do this thing.
0: I and- hold no justice. No. Okay. So I've been to two actions. I won't say where because I really don't want people in my personal business, but I have been all up and down the East coast in the past week and a half. And I took a week off of work just to like decompress. I was supposed to have been in a very good space. Some drama popped off last week. I'm like, it's always some bullshit. Um, But something I've been hearing lately is no justice, no peace, right, and I'm like, niggas, it's, and no racist police, like, you know what I'm saying, look, like, you gotta finish, like, you gotta do the execution, okay.
1: <laughs> which, which, what does that say to you, right, like, we we may have some folks who, who don't know those things, there's, there's right. pockets of people who say things differently, another chant I heard a lot in the street was, uh, damn, like, racist cops have got to go like hey hey ho ho all these racist cops have got to go and then some people are like all the cops have got to go right so now it's the racist ones so now and like no good cops in a racist system so now with you know people who are amplifying defund the police abolish police i think there's also a strong movement towards abolitionist rhetoric and politic that i don't know that everyone knows so like i'm seeing a resurgence of that so that was really interesting like a microcosm of people in the street and their chants and some were people were saying, you know, kick out some of the cops. And put, some people were like, no, abolish the police. Like, we're not even at that point right. anymore. We're somewhere else. So I see a lot of things in that little, I saw a lot of things amongst the people um, over the weekend that made me just reflect on, like, this moment and who's out there right now.
0: Well, it's interesting that you ask the question without asking the question. You're like, how do we train up these new people <laughs> Like in the way that they should go? Like, Right. And so I, um, along myself, along with Capital District Intersectional Feminist Group, which is a small organization I work with locally in Albany, um, Capital District Surge, um, the National Lawyers Guild, Blackout Collective, Organizing Black, like all these dope ass fucking organizers, SAF from Ruckus Society, um, and then some people who shall not be named, (laughs) have gotten together to do a series of trainings it is the profile picture on my picture. I feel like why do I have to keep like promoting it? I'm like people should really just be like like you just said looking for this. Like where do I plug in? How do I learn as much as I can about how to organize and how how chants are important. Chants keep the momentum going. And so we're having um, not only a train the trainer, but we're having a general organizing 101 from like. Base one, like how to do community agreements, how to come up with roles, um, what, how, how to de-escalate, when to escalate. You know, we'll be doing all these stuff. It's a, it's t- twelve tenants, and basically, if you, you could choose, pick and choose whichever class you want to attend. Or whichever segment you'd like to attend. But what we'll be doing is for those individuals who finish all 12 of the tenants, including security and surveillance and like what is the life expectancy of surveillance and what does that mean right. Um, Things that people who are brand new to the movement don't know yet and even sometimes people in the movement don't know like, you know, Um, so what we'll do is those people who choose to do all 12 of those will basically earn a train the trainer certificate so by these organizations blackout collective um, organizing black ruckus society. And so that way they will be able to train those coming up so it'll I can stop calling the same four or five people and be like, I need a direct action training now like you know, Um, so I'm working on that we are raising money. Um, because we also wanna provide the infrastructure to people to upgrade their tech. People should be using a VPN. People should be using Signal. If they can't use Signal, they need to be using riseup.net. Like this is, you know, like it's all, what what can we do to be safe and keep each other safe, you know, as much as we can. So I'm glad that you asked that question. Um, Hello to everyone who's just joining. There is a question Mm -hmm. from the audience. Rava B says, have you been feeling the encroachment of white folks in rallies? (laughs)
1: well encroachment so like you know are they like taking over commandeering co-opting so Mm -hmm. again i haven't been out much because we're in a pandemic so recently the only thing i went to was in boston a couple weeks ago pre-covid the last thing i went to was in brooklyn specifically um folks were organizing around the increase of the subway fares and also the hyper militarization, additionally, of the NYPD uh, that were doing like fair evasion regulation or crackdown. Um, and so I think it's like FTP out of New York. And what they did, I thought was very effective. Before we went out in the streets together, thousands of people, you know, the person, one of the organizers was like, okay, when we go out here, white people, use your bodies to shield. Black and brown people. They were like, white people on the perimeter. White people, if anything goes up, you are the first ones to go. So they gave tactical instructions to white people before we went out. So to your question, have I noticed white folks encroaching? I would say I didn't at that last rally in New York because there were specific instructions for them. And having white people out there with you when you're marching can be useful, like strategically, as long as they listen to directions. Right, and in my scenario that I'm describing when black trans women at the front were calling for mic check, everybody needed to shut up. Right,
0: but can I offer you something? Cause I feel like that was the original question you asked. Like what would have been like the step or whatever? I feel like if if we're in radical sp- spaces with black femmes, black trans women, black whomever, sometimes black men, um, I think that if there is a message, I said it, if there is a message that is being uplifted then we need to play telephone. That would have been probably the best thing in that instance, that someone, and I think it again goes with training, but also think about the training that you and I had with BLM Cambridge. There was none, we just showed up and like fucked up and we made mistakes, but then we kept getting better. So in that instance, if y'all are at a rally and there are black femmes, there are black trans folks, there are black folks at the front going, Mike check. Somebody, if it's too big of a crowd, somebody needs to caterpillar that shit. It needs to be Mike Jack, then the next 10 rows of people. Somebody needs to be Mike Jack so that way everybody can pass the message along if it's that big of a crowd. To me, that's crowd control, but then that also comes along with do we trust in each other enough? Like when we're part of the queer and trans community, when we're together, when we're not a part of those communities, do we trust each other enough to like have these conversations and have like lean in and listen to one another because saying mic check and just yelling is not is not a logistical thing. Like for many organizers, it's a very much everybody like crisscross applesauce, so sit down, be quiet, but not a lot of people know that because they're like there's no microphones, or you know they've never been to an action, so it's like just I feel like a lot of people will learn by doing, and so maybe next time for those individuals they need to maybe have like some white allies. I mean, because white people are gonna show up anyways, you might as well give them something to do. Listen, you stand here, and when that person says my check, you repeat it, and when that person says my check, you repeat it. You know, so that would be my suggestion is to have marshals or to have some white volunteers. Do the mic check. Black, black femmes, black trans women are speaking. Like, you know, mic check. Everybody needs to be quiet and like explain it. Cause you know, sometimes people can be a little dense. So I mean, that's what I would do in that situation.
1: Yeah. And I, I think just to that question, as someone who's, you know, watching a lot of TV and, and news and stuff, like the actions that we're seeing across the country are white people encroaching. It's an interesting question because we're seeing some white folks who are like setting cars on fire, breaking uh, windows, like AutoZone, like it was that a white person like a rogue actor or were they state funded? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think we are seeing broadly uh, white folks who are uh, encroaching on movements and putting people in dangerous situations because they're destroying property when that is not the wishes of the organizers who are black. And I've seen a lot of videos, viral videos of like black folks who confront these white provocateurs who are breaking stuff, and they're like, yo, that's not what we want you to do. And so right. the question is, who are these people who are breaking these things? Where are they coming from?
0: Right. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, some question that I've had, um, I, I want to answer the question for Ava, is it appropriate to ask white folks to sit down or stay on the outside? Uh, it's appropriate to tell white people whatever you want them to do. So, I mean, that's really—they don't have a choice now. Like we're burning up all their shit. Um, so, there's that. I don't—I don't know what else to say about that. Um, Rachel asks: You've talked about feeling erased as a queer trans person of color, and you watch the transgender movement rally and hide behind white men. Why is intersectionality so hard for people to understand or get behind? In your—in your opinion?
1: Ooh, well. Gang, (laughs) gang. So, um, one thing I think they're referring to is something I wrote for Wear Your Voice magazine about feeling erased um, during Pride and I think uh, Trans Day of Remembrance, uh, where I said that I feel like that's the only time that they center Black and Brown trans people is when we're dead. Um. And I feel like, why is intersectionality important? Well, first, that term is very loaded now because people misuse it and co-opt it. And you know I'm not really sure that, that we ever acknowledge where it came from, the critical right. theory behind it, the Black Combahee Collective. Uh, shout out to Mita Fraser. Hello, love you. Um, Boston in the house, right? Where these things came from. Um, so this phenomenon is not new that people of the margins push others to the margins. Um, And I think that's why we have like, say her name and say their name. And even in this moment whose narratives get centered. But for me, I'm at multiple intersections. I'm Afro-Latinx, queer, not cis. uh, And I struggle with like, where do I fit in? I I feel like my my subcategories further marginalize me. Like I go into Latinx spaces and then they push me out because of my color because then they call me negra, negra right and i'm like not european that i can tell you
0: ain't got no european nose i'll tell you that much they'll be like
1: and so what I is it like, <laughs> yeah, so like anti-blackness and latinx communities have pushed me within those margins and then when i was in blm spaces you know and i'm after latinx and i, I recognize my colorism and the privileges that i have because of what i look like people would be like well are you black and i'm like Shit, I'm mixed, I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. this is what I am. Right. Um, and then you go to like queer spaces and they get white dominated. And so you feel, super, like, super. feel like very marginalized there.
0: They understand um, oppression, but not yours.
1: And so like, I just feel like I'm just sometimes I'm in no, no person's land. I'm just like alone in, in these marginalized spaces. So I don't know, but finding community where I can, I think, and I think even within the trans umbrella, um, being like a non-binary gender non-conforming is also kind of isolating because we rightfully so are talking about trans women, Black trans women, the disparate violence that they face. The experiences of trans men are also kind of pushed aside, but you know they are working on promoting themselves, visibility. Shout out uh, Black Trans TV among other folks, and then I think like non-binary people are just like. non-binary
0: people are the light-skinned people of trans people i said it first i don't give a fuck i said it first you're just like weird no but everyone's like writing your diary about your gender fluidity nobody gives a fuck like i'm like oh wow Oh
1: no so i don't know i often just feel nowhere and everywhere so i'm okay Mm. thank you for the question that's great
0: um another question that came from my camp i have um I have a think tank behind me. Shout out to all the volunteers from Done For Didi who are helping with this episode right now because they already know that I'm having emotional issues and I'm drinking more than I should.
1: Ooh, um, on one there. of the
0: questions that I actually don't even have to read, it's something that I deal with and actually Amshari is here visiting me. Um, something we we spoke about kind of like off camera too is like when you change your name because your identity is based in like, oppression or or it's based on like not a good representation of who you are and you change your name and also when you shift you know because I I feel like you had said something that made me giggle you're like shout out to all the babies who came out who came out the uterus knowing that they was out here like you know I'm saying trans and queer and two-spirited and so shout out to them yes and for those of us who have transitioned later on in life or been like hold up that that assignment actually don't fit me <laughs> and it's nails on a chalkboard for me personally every time i hear like her pronouns when i say describe myself and i'm like oh yeah and I don't even know situations where I have to describe myself, but some, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you have to describe yourself or you're like, oh, you know, I'm telling the story and I'm recanting what someone else said. And if I use she, her, hers pronouns or like girl, like, or somebody it's like nails on a chalkboard. How do you, as a person who is non-binary, who by therefore in default, not the gender you were assigned at birth, right? How do you have these conversations that are super important with family, with friends, with coworkers? Um, do you ever feel like I feel and just be like, I don't want to take up space and I'm tired?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we were talking earlier. I'm 34, mm-hmm. and I have transitioned by using a different name and pronouns. Um, I think I started in my late 20s, and you know now I'm in a place where you know, K and they, them. So the spellings have changed and I've, I've done all this at work. So I've been working in universities. Um, so I've you know changed my name and pronoun in these situations. Um, part of the hard part of that is like navigating then the workplace where right. using they, them pronouns. Um, there are students, more and more students who use that, more and more staff and faculty use it. But I have been among very few, if not the first and or only. And so misgendering happens. And I right. have written extensively about misgendering in the workplace, um, what it can do to folks, how we can avoid it, how do you handle it. Um, and yeah, and so with my family, so language is a big thing. My parents are not um, English primary speakers. People. right. Mm-hmm. Of so Spanish is there... Uh, primary language and they're not you know from the US so machismo and gender norms and Latino culture cultures is like very rigid very different um and so I haven't had that conversation with my parents because I don't even know what that would be like so these these decisions are highly personal and we know that like trans people non-binary people when they come out at work to their family to whomever there can be consequences it can cost you your job, it can cost you your relationship with your family, people get kicked out of their homes, they lose everything, so that's not something that everyone can do, right, and so I feel like everyone needs to calculate their own risk and consequences, you know, some people can't afford to lose jobs, and so they just have to figure out a way to, like, deal with it, and, and, right. and work, and be someone that they know that they're not, doesn't mean you're any less trans or non or gender non-conforming or non-binary you just have to thrive in a capitalist system and survive so you gotta do what you gotta do
0: no i appreciate that i know like a lot of my friends like shout out to shay shay and sick blm 413 come on now i feel like it doesn't matter like how much time has elapsed they hit me up and like what up mix delgado like you know what i'm saying and it just feels like like without having to like So what I've been doing lately, actually, I won't even say lately. I think I've been annoying people since 2014. I think everything I've been saying since 2014 has really annoyed people. But I was exploring gender expression even back then. And I was like, my pronoun is Didi. I used to irk everyone's soul at BLM Boston meetings. They'd be like, we hate it here. Why is Didi like this? Like, you know, I'm like, but so it's interesting. Someone inboxed me. First of all, you have to know I hate inboxes about other people. I hate it. Okay, Um, but someone inboxed me and they were like, oh, you know, someone asked about your pronouns and I just was trying to explain it. And like, what's the best way that you would explain it? And I was like, my name is Didi. Mm -hmm. If people say it's asinine to say Didi 47 times in the introduction, well, you didn't say nothing when you were saying she, her. And like 47 times during the same introduction, she is an esteemed, like you know what I'm saying? And her work would be, he wasn't saying nothing. So why is it a problem? Does it seem like it's so self-important? Like, you know, and I, I like lean to folks like Ashley Shackelford, love Ashley to death. Like they mind is just so expansive. I don't use they, them pronouns. I'm not averse to being called she. I'm not averse to being called he, they. I'm not averse to it all, but I feel like where I'm at, like in my gender acknowledgement of like who I am, I just want to be called by my name. Everything is triggering and I'd be like taking so much care with black folks. And I'm like, it's not your fault that you don't know this conversation yet, right? But then also I get angry at those same people because I'm like, why don't you know this conversation yet? But I have to remember that I didn't have this conversation always you know and so I don't know if there was a question in that but like I appreciate you sharing your experience you know
1: I just want to say that our community changes names pronouns often and the way that someone introduces themselves to you may change tomorrow it may change a month from now so for us like a liberatory practice is always giving that space for someone to present themselves how they feel in that moment and I know Hunter uh, Shackleford has recently talked about their name change and pronouns and so like oh
0: super recent then because I'm like exactly,
1: right and so right. okay community, like that's a practice that we you know take on because we're moving towards a space where you know we're defying like all the laws and, and norms and protocols like you know we're right. in the English language I'm doing the binary and so what does that look like in our day-to-day it means like how are you today like what is your name and pronoun? that might be
0: the same tomorrow no I totally appreciate that um can you share like on that same vein like what it means or how it feels to have your friends and family because I've shared how it means to have your friends and family commit to learning and using your your pronouns someone said preferred I I hate that word of your pronouns via misgendering and not caring do you feel like people don't care or do you feel like a socialization or
1: both I think it depends what it is (laughs) and what's the context. Like some people, like they don't know, and this is new and it's their first time. And like I usually give folks like a little bit of grace. I'm like, all right, you know, like I may be the first, but like if it's happening, it's habitual. Then I'm like, you don't care and you don't care to learn, and it's really harmful and hurtful to me. Right. Um. So that's how I approach it. Like one time is enough. Like, it should never be more than that. But I realize that for some people, it's a struggle. Um, and what I have- Has a- it been
0: a struggle for you? What do you mean? So for instance, like what I shared, like sometimes like if I'm like having a conversation about myself and I'm like, and, and like say Imshari was like, oh, DDM was describing me to someone else and I'm recanting that conversation. I'm using a lot of the language because it just is like comfortable to recant. And it's, you know, I, I do it to myself all the time you know, it's unpacking my own sis shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's unpacking everything I was taught. Like I would I didn't just wake up and was like, actually I'm not sis, fuck all y'all. Like it's still an unpacking, just like anti-blackness is an unpacking. And I just wanted to know like from you, like, cause I feel like a lot of times trans and queer folks feel like like we're just perfect you know what I'm saying like is it is do you have your moments are you like oh shit I should unpack
1: that like you know. all the time I'm constantly learning like because I'm queer and trans and Afro Latinx doesn't mean that I'm absolved of anything you know anti-blackness
0: a lot of people like bring their intersections as like gang gang signs like you know what i'm saying like nah i couldn't be problematic because i'm x y and z nigga like you know what i'm saying like and so it's important i think to have these conversations that we're not perfect
1: people period you know no no i you know there are many things i'm working on have to work on trying to be more open and honest about it in the places that i've been corrected so like namely um being educated on bisexuality what does that mean I think I had a very limited view and understanding about it, but thankfully I had folks who called me in, called me out, educated me on it. Um, Anti-Blackness, like you said, is always a thing to unlearn. And anti-Blackness in my household was always present. So many things. I The biggest thing I've unlearned because of my career path is like how much of my self-worth I tied up with my job and my right. salary and my titles. And I'm someone who was fired very publicly. Like that's a whole ass thing. Um, And like, what happens to you when you don't have that anymore? So So I'm
0: I'm trying not to cry because I wasn't gonna ask you. It was, you know, I know that you have spoken about it before, but I wasn't gonna ask you. Um, I feel like okay, I'm just gonna tell you how I feel because I feel like I just had this conversation with Tanya Faison, who is not a queer person, right? Um, but is a very instrumental leader in the BLM Sacramento movement. And we just had this conversation. It's like, I feel like, and I had this conversation with Badomenicana. Like, I feel like it's like all, all all, the people in the world find out you're coming to the show and then like literally inbox me about like problematic things. I, I, I read that, you know, and I think about myself, like, you know, it's interesting what accountability looks like. Cause I'm like, people are so willing to dole it out but never want to take it. Like, or tell you, nah, this is what accountability looks like to me, son that's it period like you know and so I wanted to ask you two questions actually um how did you channel your emotions after being fired from the Philadelphia Mazzoni Center are they still angry and how did they make peace but more importantly were you able to create any good from it and do you feel supported by your current community and and because I'm complicated, has being part of the WAKEN team feel more genuine to you than that place that where you came from? You know, like, seeing for me, seeing um, Black folks and, and people of color like, um, in leadership positions is inspiring. But you also know that that comes with challenges, you know? So how, well, like, what is the contrast? And then, like, how can you feel, like, when you... I won't say when you've done harm because I feel like that harm conversation is triggering to me because I feel like a lot of people will be out in these internet sheets being like, and Dee Dee Delgado has done this, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, Yes, that is true. And I am not the sum of my worst mistakes, right? And so if people feel some kind of way, I encourage them to unfollow because I'm not about to throw people away for their mistakes because I know mistakes about the people that write to me, about the people that come on my show. So, I mean, you
1: know, so let me shut up. Take a sip of the sangria. Um, Yeah, so I have been very public about what happened to me. Uh, there's a very long paper trail. it's it's not new information. right? Um, I don't know that I've ever been able to talk about that. So you're the first person to ask me about it. I want to say that the first thing I thought about when I got fired was what will my students think of me? Mm. Like everything was like very calm, very clear. And like, those are the people who came into my mind. It wasn't like, my bills it wasn't like my future and it was like so weird to me like I never thought that that would come up I was like man what are my students gonna think of me and that for me my career thus far like I really cared about what my students think about me so my students at Framingham State students at Stanford worked at Harvard worked at Tufts. now I'm at now I'm back in higher ed at um, MGHIHP and so Yeah, I felt like I had disappointed them because you said, you know, being a person in a position of leadership, like there aren't that many of us queer, trans, black and brown people in these institutions at these levels. Um, So yeah, I I felt like I, you know, I heard this phrase, Dr. Van Bailey from Brooklyn Boyhood um, said, you know, possibility models that were possibility models for others and for future generations. And that always stuck with me when he said that. So I always wanted to be someone that I needed when I was in college. So I never had anyone to talk about queer things or race things with. I've been in predominantly white institutions my entire life. Wow, Um,
0: that's so so validating to hear that. And I hope that more, more people who are listening no, that it's okay. Like you don't have to like sign up to the table just because it's the only cafeteria table. You could be like, I'm gonna go eat my lunch on the lawn. You know, I really appreciate you saying I didn't have anybody to talk about queer or black issues with or race issues with because I was at an all-white institution. Thank you for saying
1: that. Yeah, I didn't see myself anywhere. I didn't see myself in the curriculum, I didn't see myself in the professoriate, I didn't see myself in the administration. And so, and I went to school in New Orleans. So I went to Loyola University in New Orleans. What? Oh, come on, Loyola? Okay. Before and after Katrina. Mm. So Hurricane Katrina was the, like, the moment where I saw all these intersections, talk about intersectionality of race, class, anti-Blackness, climate justice, all these things, like urban planning, like everything, redlining. And that moment, that, uh, that experience changed me forever and what I wanted to do and how I got into this work. So, yeah, to your question, like that's the first thing I thought about, and how did I channel it? Um, I wanted to use legal recourse. So this is public and documented. You know, I filed a complaint with the uh, Philadelphia Human Rights Commission, and I worked with uh, other people in Philadelphia to right. legal action. And I spoke out in the media because black and brown, People, black and brown, transgender people get fired all the time. Right. Um, shout out to Erin Lang. Um, I just want to say, you know, I've said this to Aaron privately, but like her work at Get Equal, like made me feel like, you know, this is this is what I need to do. Um, and so I thank for I thank her for her courage and her advocacy, of course, of for, course, you know, for being a possibility model to people like me. Um, and so yeah, you know, I, I pursued legal recourse. And what we've seen now um, that that organization has published or you know, publicized their new leadership structure and the changes that they've made. So I'm not there anymore. I, I can't speak to what they're doing, but I know that things are different.
0: They're I mean, not doing things like you was doing things. That's all I know, and you ain't got to say nothing to it. Um, <laughs> I said it. Bang.
1: Yeah, so I'm
0: gonna know. have the one one black person, one POC queer person be like, but I'm the one helping. <laughs> I hate it here. I promise you. I
1: <laughs> but that moment in Philly, you know, just um, made me think about who I am, what are my values, what is acceptable for me, what right. I will and will not do. And to your other question, you know, after that, um, I was able to work at Harvard. And then I went to California. Um, I started working with a consultant company called Awaken. Um, so Michelle Kim, Uh is the CEO and co-founder of that. So I worked with her and I started doing consulting with largely tech companies in the Bay. So a major um, fortune Not out. Bay area. Yeah, so I went back to Oakland, which was nice. And then, you know, I, I moved back to Boston. Um, consulting was, is really hard. It's really difficult, especially all the flying that was involved um, was not great for me health wise. Um, and so I moved back to Boston to like, think about the next step and then, this opportunity opened up at MGH. And so I'm super grateful, so grateful. And I'm doing consulting work also. So I feel just eternally thankful that the universe has me. Also, you know, something that happened to me during that time, I was also very public about a hate crime. So, you know, I see a lot of GoFundMes, people that fundraise for multiple things all the time. And I was one of those people that because I had just been fired and have health insurance and I didn't have steady income. Unemployment wasn't coming in yet. Um, And then I got assaulted and I was terrified. I didn't know how long or how much these bills would be. Right. I didn't know what would happen. Um, And I asked for help publicly and I had people all over the country, largely my students. So again, the students, um, fundraise. Don't
0: even get me started. Don't even get me started. Like people could literally be like, you're a shitty person. And like, at the end of the day, like not, I wanna be very succinct in what I'm saying, cause I'm going through the same issue right now, similar. Like people are out here like you're a shitty person. And I'm like, I can hold your critique and I'm not the sum of it because at the end of the day my work speaks for itself. If the community that I am responsible to still speaks out largely in volume, I feel very terribly, I will say it right now on this show. I feel very terribly for anyone I've hurt And some people I don't feel terribly for. Some people deserved it. Um, And I'm just going to keep it gully like that. But if I hurt you, um, that I did hurt you, I apologize for it. And also, I can't be 100%, 100% of the time, right? You know what I'm saying? So like to hear you say, like, my heart is warm. It's probably the passion fruit sangria. But my (laughs) heart is, (laughs) I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Hello. Like, my heart is warm because to hear that your students was like, at the end of the day, we know who is also here for us. Because students know, these, these babies know. They can read people. They know, like, you know what I'm saying? And with that same... With that same retrospect, I would like to ask you, how do you handle conflict? And I just have to be transparent. I I can't say who, obviously, because I'm keeping it 100%, um, like um, uh, confidential. I was going to say transparent again. I was like, no, that means that I'm telling everybody. Um, I'm trying to keep it confidential. But someone inboxed me, and this has been a recurrent theme. I have had almost 50 episodes, and at least 70% of the people on my show, someone has inboxed me about, And I know that I have also been inboxed about, you know what I'm saying? And so like, how do you deal with the harm you cause in communities and also mitigate it with like trying, the best apology is change behavior. So how do you make restitution? And if that cannot be resolved, how do you move forward? How long does this follow you? How like, you know what I'm saying? like, It seems to be a recurring question if people watch the show Because every single time I have somebody new on the show, somebody inboxes me about that person. So, I mean, how do you deal with conflict? And what ways have you, like, learned to deal with conflict better? Are there things that you feel like you could have done better? There are things I feel like I could have done better. And there are some things that I feel like, baby, you better believe I led with love. Because otherwise it would have been a different conversation.
1: Yeah, there is no, like, shortage of things that I have not done as well as I would have liked to, or things that I would do differently now. Um, I think, I mean, to whom, whomever or whoever <laughs> mentioned that if there's you know anything they'd like to talk to me about, and I'd like to facilitate that. Um, but yeah, I, I think in general, what I have tried to do is have open communication and you know if it's something that i wrote or something that i posted um like revisiting that and being like okay here's what i wrote and i I recognize what things i said uh or how the things i said were not great or how they impacted you if it's something that like i did in person um trying to apologize or saying you know i'd like to talk to you more about that like clarify and, and say what i did and then like the change behavior is like the long term commitment to being like okay i recognize the things i did in these moments were harmful and how will i address that going forward um therapy is helpful uh seeking professional help is also helpful right but you know i mentioned before
0: how does therapy feel for you as a as a queer trans person of color like how does so like we hard.
1: To find a therapist, and I want to say with insurance and without medical insurance, is vastly different to like your access to getting medical and professional help. There are physicians and counselors who do things on sliding scales, but it's hard to find them. Also, someone who would be like well-versed uh, with my particular context. You know, I don't want to be like educating my counselor on like my-, my- Ooh, you said a word and like I know that people have to do that and I'm like I don't want to be paying for more harm here and so I feel like you know saying that like all of us need therapy is true but we also need like competent educated therapists and so until that happens I don't know that all of us can just like rush out and go get that but yeah I mean I I recognize I've I've harmed I've done harmful things in the past and if anyone would like to talk more about that with me um
0: Do you feel like, I can't believe I'm about to ask this question, but I feel like I need to be gangster on my own show, right? Like, as long as you know me, like, I don't hold back. And when I do hold back, it's really because I'm leading with compassion. Because you know that I have cursed some motherfuckers out. Um, (laughs) Do you ever feel like because you are available to be held accountable that people... I can't believe I'm feeling sexy about this question because it feels good. Come on, ancestors. Do you feel like people hold you accountable because you are willing to be held accountable?
1: I don't know. I mean... I, I, that's not up to me it's up to the people who no i feel like
0: i've and no, i'm asking because i feel like i see a trend here right like i'm like i wish that i had the capacity that i wasn't a single mom sometimes i wish that i didn't have a full time job as an executive assistant i wish that i wasn't a full time llc owner trying to make my my coins out here in the streets i wish i wasn't a community organizer i wish i was like a motivational speaker or some shit right like and just got paid just to speak and write and this third. Mm-hmm. um but i've noticed a trend here that people who escape accountability you know i think about like high profile people who keep doing the worst shit and we have dossiers on them right and then you have community organizers who have like the weight of the world on their hands right um And just even if you're not a community organizer, just being black, just being brown, like just being queer, just being trans, right? Or all the things all together, mixed up one, disabled, cash, poor, right? That, I think about all those things and like how we pay penance to each other because we are aware for the most part in black feminist spaces about intersectionality. And so we know oh, you know what, I shouldn't have said that, or you know what, I acknowledge the harm I've done here because that's this community I've affected, but that's not really required. Like a lot of dragging has happened of white allies and I'm all here for it, right? Um, But like when it comes to us, is there a way that we can operate differently with one another? Because I feel like, I look at you like, oh, brown skin equals steel alloy community container, you know so if I feel I feel titanium you must feel titanium nigga and gang gang because I don't appreciate that shit you said on Saturday like you know what I'm saying like I mean how do we hold space for one another when we're holding all the space for the world in our different communities I know I came with the good questions I'm about to have an orgasm after the show
1: I don't know (laughs) accountability is so like elusive to me as a concept, because I don't know like where it really exists. We talk about restorative justice and you know all these different theories and different practices. And I don't know that it is real. I want to believe that it is. But like one thing about the like accountability model that I hear a lot is like, oh, my community holds me accountable. I know I'm going to be out here. I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say. And then I expect my community to hold me accountable. Who's going to do that labor? who is that mm-hmm. who is the community that you speak of did they sign up to do that are you just going to keep doing all the things and just wait for someone or some people to right. call you in and, call you out and and talk to you about that like i don't know that that happens or it, and I, I guess what i think is most realistic in my life is like i have like a close circle of people one hand, count them on one hand. This is where we are right now. It's getting tighter and, and smaller. Your shout out to
0: Jess, who I spoke to today, who also gave me the number five. They was like, you have to have your people because there are going to be people that you can't stand and you still have to work with them. There are going to be people who hate you. And you're like, do I still have to work with them? But if you have your five and they're the five that like can be multi dimensional I feel like I'm doing the spirit fingers, but they can be multi-dimensional with you, right? And they can hold you accountable because they're holding themselves accountable. Or they can be like, you know, bitch, I'm not about to do this motherfucking labor for you. You know what you did was wrong. Five five is ambitious. Five is ambitious.
1: Woo! Somebody need
0: to quote that.
1: Five is ambitious. It's like you have to hold space for your your friends, your loved ones. And call them in, educate them on things, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be a lot of time, and tears, and anger, and I'm like, you want to do that for a whole bunch of people you don't even know? I'm not. I'm trying to live and, you know, exist in this system, and I don't know that I can do that for a whole two handfuls of people, so, you know, the people that you really engage with, like my partner, my family, my, like, close, close friends, like, and that number changes often like and that's what I'm saying I'm not going to be doing that for everybody so that's why I think accountability is like elusive because it completely depends on who are the people that are signing up to right. that persistent labor and Rava says
0: she was thinking she has like maybe two people and, yeah, yeah, and Diana two. said can you talk about accountability versus responsibility
1: yeah and so <laughs> first of all I, I just want to say that I think if you have one person Two people that you are truly deeply engaged with that hold you accountable. Like when you say something, they're going to talk to you and be like, hey, like this is a thing. And like you are lucky. And that is mm-hmm. like the closest thing I've ever seen to accountability in my life. And so on a big scale, I don't know. And then to, to before we go to the next question, like on the internet, right, people comment on my stuff all the time. Like a recent example, I did this, mo- this panel for Monster and, and accessibility information wasn't on it. And someone on Facebook, Gamer Gomez, um, I just remember that's top, wrote in my comments, it was like, yo, like you need to do better. You need to put accessibility information on and I was like, you're absolutely right. And right. so that's a, that's a form of accountability. I don't know this person, we've never met, but I think the internet allows some of that to happen where like you have to respond right away. And so, right. because I'm not a person that needs accommodations on Zoom, like I wasn't ever thinking about that. So that's my own privilege. And so I'm really grateful that I had someone who made me think about that. Um, accountability versus responsibility, to me, like accountability Baby. involves action and this labor, like these other people or a person who have a commitment to working with you and helping you and talking to you is, is what I distinguish accountability. And there's like, there's consequences or there's recourse. is like what I think accountability is like a check, a check and right. balance. The a check-in system. Responsibility, I think, is largely, like, personal. It can be. These are, like, the things that either I sign up for or ascribe to. Like, what is my role? What am I going to do here? But accountability to me, like, I think my responsibility is to hold others accountable. Like, I, I choose that. I decide that right, that's what right. going to be if I, if I decide. I, don't I can't like- wait to watch this again. Mm-hmm. Um, you are...
0: 19 forever and forever and forever in my brain. Like I see you not as a kid, but I just see you as someone who's just got eternal life in them. And I know that that's a dangerous thing for black and brown folks. Um, I'm gonna ask my question, but then I also wanna offer Grace's question because I haven't heard from Grace in a while. Um, And so the question I have for you is, You know, the life expectancy of trans women is 35 and you're getting up there right and so like what does that mean for you what does that mean for your trans brothers and sisters like how can all of us like stop oppressing one another because that's what it, it really comes down to it's it's it these feelings that we have is like oppression and we're, we're exerting it over other people. I got into an argument. It was an argument. It was an argument. She called me on the phone. Um, I won't say her name because I don't want to, I don't want to put her out there, but Someone I know very much so was like, I really dislike the fact that y'all are dividing Black Lives Matter into all Black Lives Matter. That I was like, no, have you ever considered that it's a highlight? It's not It's not a demarcation, right? It's not a, this group matters more, right? I said, it's, it's to remind folks who are only centering Black men. It's like, and, and I think somebody even asked that question earlier how do you center trans people when we're talking about the most marginalized when you have people in your mentions in your inbox talking about, statistically speaking, it's Black men who are gunned down at the hands of police. And I'm like, statistically speaking, it will always be Black women, Black trans women, um, Black trans men who are seen as other, right? Who are disproportionately affected by intrastate violence, intercommunal violence, healthcare violence. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we have these conversations where it's like, not erasing our own narrative, but then also not erasing the narrative of black men. I think is an important question because I do believe that all men are trash. And also clearly we found a way to like look past the trash of what is men and be like, and George what? like, you know what I'm saying? So how do we have these important conversations? Does it matter that people feel like trans folks are erasing cis folks? I don't. I don't think it could ever happen, but the fact is I find myself arguing and I I just be like okay all right sis whatever whatever you say like I'm tired
1: so many things one that's a false equivalency like we do not hold the same power and power differentials are so important trans people do not have the capacity or the power to erase cis people can't do it so you know whoever thought that is saying that like the The small number of trans people who exist, first of all, like just talking about population numbers, we are outnumbered like by millions, like we don't even have the critical mass to do that, and then we do not hold power like abject power um is my immediate reaction. People really love to throw out these false equivalencies, right, so right. um but to your like earlier question, like how do I feel about you know someone who's approaching thirty five and the life expectancy of trans women, I wonder about that statistic where is it disaggregated? Like what is the life expectancy of black trans women specifically and white trans women and you know, Latinx Ooh. women? Ooh. Um, so I don't know that information. So I, I wonder, because I would imagine that there's disparity there. And, and I don't know for sure I'm just gonna say that. I'm
0: gonna look it up while you're talking.
1: Um, so that's my first question. But because I would imagine that the life expectancy rate for a black trans woman is different than other groups Um, and so I want to hone in on like disaggregation and disparate impact and for me you know I am not a trans woman I am a gender non-conforming non-binary person and I do not present as femme and so you know talking about men um, from what I understand a large number of the people who kill trans women are men and you know there's a lot of motivation as to why these men kill trans women and black trans women at that but a, a large portion of these folks uh, are talking about the trans panic defense you know I, I felt deceived by this person i didn't know you know I, I they should have told me and that insecurity of masculinity toxic masculinity is a large driver um, to why black trans women and, and trans women are killed And I don't think that that's something that I face in particular, because I do not engage in that dynamic with cis men or men, me personally. Um, However, when I talk about the violence that I face as a gender non-conforming person, I have faced violence at the hands of men. I talked about the hate crime. Um, And trans men and masculine center people, masculine center women face violence from many people, but largely from men in a different capacity because of what we look like. They make comments to us It's trans antagonism. They're saying, well, what are you like, man or woman? Or like, let me treat you like a man then if you wanna look like a man. It's a different dynamic. It's not um, motivated by the same dynamics that trans women um, face. And we do not get killed at the same rates. Right. We face, you know, interpersonal violence, where we're hurt, street uh, street crime, street harassment, um, but it's very different. And so, When I think about that, I I have to separate myself and recognize the privileges that I have because of what I've and how I face harassment and violence in a very different way than than trans women do and especially black trans women. Um, Also like the variables of sex work also create situations for violence. Um, And so I'm very privileged in that way and given my education and the work that I do. And it's just a very different situation. But what do I do and how do I show up? So I think moving money, right? supporting the Massachusetts Trans Emergency Fund, which is organized black, by black women in Boston. Yes, in March. So I think my privilege is moving money to black trans women especially, to amplifying their work and, and what they say wherever I can. I try, I have tried in the organizations that I work at to bring uh, trans women, especially trans women of color and black trans women in to speak. So I can right. move institutional dollars to them whenever I can. Um, so that's some of the stuff that I can do in my in my role. So yeah, and I want to just say that trans, masculine people, non-binary masculine people, like we face violence differently, right? But I have also tried to support trans men, especially Black trans men, who are survivors of hate crime violence. So I used, because of all the money that people donated to me when I was hurt, um, I was able to save some of that and then I use that to give to others. And I tried to elevate the fundraising campaigns of two black trans men that I found out on Facebook um, who were hurt. Another thing, while I have the internet's attention, um, one thing that really like upsets me is that when people share stories of violence, particularly hate crimes, right? This person got assaulted here or you know, this person has, you know whatever uh, medical needs like find out if they have a cash app or venmo or if they have a GoFundMe. like right. i do not share stories of people being harmed without also sharing whatever people have mobilized to help this person right so that's just like a matter of practice for me at this point like i see the story i find the name i google it i venmo search like i try to find out how do i get this person money or funds
0: No, I appreciate you saying that. Someone tagged me in an article uh, the other day that just came out like, I don't know, three or four days ago. That was like, you know, white people have lost their minds and they're giving money to black folks, whatever, like at the protest. Like they're just, do you have cash app? Do you have Venmo? Like, can I put money in your hands? And I'm like, that's what you should be doing because it's like, y'all don't understand. Um, I won't say who the person is, but I got my hair done. It doesn't look like it now because I can't, I really can't go three days without washing my hair. I got my hair done um, in Boston and someone was like, yo, I don't give a fuck what anybody has to say about you. You did some shit with some lady and you were giving away $2,000 and I never felt like, and I'm like, I said, shut up. I like literally kept saying shut up and I didn't mean it, but like, I was like, shut up. You're not telling the story because when I go down the list, I don't pick people I know. I literally just go down the list or I tell a white person, get me 40 names so I can give away this money. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I literally boom, like, you know, I, I transport it and I've been doing that for a long time. And so when she told me that she's like flat iron in my hair, like, you know what I'm saying? And when she told me that I was like, shut up. Like that meant, yes, that meant the difference between gas being, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just don't know where people are at. So yes, give which you can, even if it's three dollars, because if 40 people at the protest gave three dollars, that's somebody's light bill. That's somebody like, you know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you saying that because it's like when black femmes say it, it's like, oh well, what are you gonna do with the money? And can we get a receipt? <laughs> like you know what I'm saying?
1: Like, so I appreciate you saying that. Oh, give money to people. It's I think it's more impactful than giving it to organizations because we don't know where that goes. And, I-
0: Ooh, and y'all never ask about the Red Cross. They release a report. Y'all niggas don't read that shit. No. But let it be a Black femme or a Black trans person. And they literally be like, um, I just need to know like where my dollars are going and if I can get a receipt. Right.
1: <laughs> and I just want to make an exception. I think there are some remarkable organizations led by Black trans women. So those are the only organizations that I will vouch for. Otherwise, I give money directly to...
0: Individual. Shout out to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, exactly. led by l Hearn's. Right. So that- shout out to Black trans women who are out here being individuals, trying to start their own organizations,
1: because mm-hmm. um,
0: it's real out here.
1: Yeah. So I'm not giving money to major LGBT organizations, especially if they don't have Black trans people on the board. I'm not commenting, but I agree. <laughs> move it to the move it to the cash outs. Move it to the Venmos. Also, GoFundMe takes a, a portion of donations so right. i think giving money to i'd best- rather
0: give my money to venmo knowing they're only going to take the 50 cents off of it like you know what i'm saying
1: yeah so that's yeah, what that's i want
0: um the my second to last question that i will ask you i feel like everyone has been enjoying the conversation thus far most people and so the <laughs> second to- <laughs> <People>. <laughs> the second to last question that i'll ask you is um something that I've been trying to make a reoccurring theme, like what does love look like for you?
1: Ooh, <laughs> 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 what does love look like for me? Whew, good Lord. Maybe I need a sip too, shit. Well, <laughs> God, you need a little
0: wet your whistle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. And yes, Rava is like, yes, because I feel like, you know, there's so much going on in this world I wanna frame the question because people are like, I wanna talk about politics. I'm here to listen about policy and legislation. And I'm like, and all that is being discussed on your timelines over and over again. And we can discuss it here, no issues, but I wanna talk about what love looked like to people. What does what does love look like when it finds you? Did you find it? Like, are you still searching for like what does it feel like to be brown, black, especially Afro-Latinx? and be in a time of pandemic, be in a time of uprising and be like, I still need to fold into myself at, in order to sleep tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that look like for you?
1: Ooh, I think the pandemic has just added a whole another layer to this, um, where we're living in a situation where you can't be around people or as many people as you were before. And I think for folks who love language is physical touch, and quality time, it has been particularly difficult and being- like, Particularly difficult, I'll mute myself. Yeah, and you know, I, I think people have had to spend more time um, with themselves. Also, we've seen a rise in domestic violence incidents. We know that people have had to seek shelter in places that were not safe for them. Um, so we've seen that rise as well. And I think about the impacts that it has on trans people, especially black trans people who are often in search of housing. Housing situations are not safe for them. So what has a pandemic done for them? Um but like for me personally, like love in this moment, we have to be very careful and very selective. So this this idea, of like your your close friend circle, that shit got even tighter. Two in a pandemic. One, just me. Four.
0: And Egypt, maybe. <laughs>
1: Yeah, people are talking about their their pods, their quarantines, you know, and like exposure and like, who are we going to be around and the implications of that? And like, we're having these conversations that are not new, by the way, you know, definitely. Shout out
0: to Siobhan Sisson, who like, we had this huge argument, but now niggas is talking about pods and I was talking about pods, like, you know what I'm saying? So thank you for that.
1: All right, so the disability justice folks have been talking about this for a long time. They've been immunocompromised for a long time. They're like, hi, this is not new. Maybe you should listen to us. Uh, so pod theories, you know. I know you have um Lydia Brown coming on. So in, I'm so in, excited for that conversation. I'm yeah. glad that they said yes. And Mia and Mingus, like people who've been talking about pod concepts. Um, so love to me right now is very close knit in the microcosm sense of like who I can physically be around, who I'm gonna expose myself around. Like my parents, I said they were in Ecuador. Ecuador had very high rates of of COVID-19 and it was a struggle for them to get back into the country. They like shut down the airports, all this shit. So like now I really think about my exposure to my parents and like making sure that they're safe. So I'm not gonna be running around, hanging out with people, except this protest. Um, but now, you know, two week isolation, wearing a mask anytime I'm near my parents. But, and I don't expect that to change. You know, we're right. watching these infection rates and you know, will we have another wave and what does that look like? So right. I think people who are dating right now are also navigating this Ooh. issue right like what does that look like me personally though I, I have a partner um I wish
0: only because I hate the dating like you know what I'm saying like it's a journey it's a journey <laughs> it's a journey
1: but me personally like we've talked about all my transitions like you know I have not I feel like I'm still growing and evolving and changing my name, my pronouns, my identity. Um, I didn't have these words before, Afro-Latinx, non-binary, GNC, like all that's really new for me. Right. Um, And I think that it's been really hard for me to find a partner because I didn't know who I was yet. Mm -hmm. And so at 34, like I'm still exploring. Um, But my relationship- Can
0: you tell people what the last four digits of
1: your cell phone number is? Why? Oh, for Venmo. Oh, 7461. Okay, 7461, bye. I mean, you could just
0: bypass, but then all of a sudden you don't know if the money is
1: somewhere else. I get it, I get it. No worries. Um, Yeah, feds are on the line. Um, But for me right now, what does love look like? So I really want to credit my partner, Blaine, here um, for our journey growing together and what we want to be. So we often talk about our goals and are we supporting each other um thank god is for-
0: time a factor in your relationship or t- does time not matter what do you mean time together <laughs> i feel like a lot of people be like holding on to dead relationships because of time spent and so is time a factor or does time not matter
1: um i would say well we've been all over the country so because i move a lot you know we've evolved in our relationship changed dynamics like constantly mm-hmm. like growing so Yeah, I mean, we'd love to spend more time together, but there was a time when she was in Brooklyn and I was in Oakland. (laughs) Right. We had to talk about what that meant for us. Um, You know, exclusivity or open or not, like all these conversations we've had. So for me, love, thanks to my partner, means uh, feeling like we can talk, we can communicate, we can learn together. We're also unlearning things. We're, you know, recognizing the areas that we need to grow in as individuals, our trauma, Um, where do these things come from, you know, the the impact that like our families and other relationships have had on where we are right now. So there's a lot of work that happens, a lot of self-reflection. I want to say that we talk about a lot of things, like the internet has a lot of great graphics and you know like codependency and like we check in be like hey what does codependency mean to us and like are we exhibiting any behaviors that may be this or not i just appreciate my partner for always being open to learning uh and helping me um and also like encouraging each other to get help that we need separately right so that we can be like better in our dynamics and how we show up um I think that's been the biggest thing is like do I feel like I'm with someone that I can grow and learn with Um, someone who holds me accountable (laughs) that word again I just did the (laughs) bogo that can happen with everybody Um, do we feel safe do we make each other feel safe and I am someone that believes that like we're just not safe anywhere right and so how do we create like a sense of safety with each other in a world that actively is trying to harm us
0: thank you so much for that framing a lot of the times like even you know like I'm getting married but like obviously uh, it's uh, it's okay um obviously I'm super poly (laughs) whatever and so like there are these relationships that exist that I constantly question am I having to unlearn like places I've been taught are markers for love. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just a lot or whatever. And so you saying safety is like a big thing. For me, there's a safety that exists um in a bubble, like for vulnerability. And like I feel like if I've been vulnerable with you, which never happens because I'm always present as uh ladrios uh, rotos, like like fucking broken brick walls. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I I that's who I am. Um, and it's like generational like you know I'm saying like it's like my mother was this and my grandmother was this you know Um, and so if I've been vulnerable with you to me that's a very big thing because I feel like sex is amazing and awesome and like can be fleeting and I want love like I want and deserve love and I think that black folks I think that queer folks I think that trans folks deserve love in meaningful ways and not in the ways that um like we've been taught what love is or whatever but like really unpacking um who we've been taught to be and like having these conversations without it being like oh you're too much or too extra so I'm actually really happy for you that you have found a partner that is like we can explore these concepts together so thank you for
1: sharing your story with us I think the gender stuff is so deep. Like in my house, being Latino or Afro-Latinx, like the rigid binary that's there, it's like men do this. They lead, they don't cry, they don't show emotion, they're macho, and women are feminine and subversive and domestic, right? They cook and they clean. And so I was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be subversive mm. and like cook and clean. Like I want to, you know, I'm a tomboy, so... I shifted into like being more like my dad and the masculinity I saw around me and then I internalized that and so I'm at a place where I'm like I need to undo that toxicity right embrace like femininity in my own way and that it doesn't have these these relationships like to be feminine does not mean that you're subservient it does not mean that you are domestic even though that's (sighs) what I taught to me and presented please at me next time. Like, just don't,
0: don't, don't talk to me. (laughs) Like, like, And that's a lot of like, you know, I feel like I'm extremely masculine. I've always been asked, why do I got to be the nigga in the relationship? Why do I always feel like I have to wear the pants? Why do I always make the decisions? So a lot of times, like, you know, I've been married before. A lot of times I scale back because I'm like, oh, I should be softer. And this is something you've talked about, that trans and queer folks literally try to take up as less space as possible. And even someone like me, you know, someone like you who has like these platforms and like this this access to spaces, I still feel like I have to be humble all the time in order to receive love, you know? And it's like, why can't I just be myself? Sometimes I'm humble, but most of the time I'm a whole asshole. Like, you know, and why can't I be myself? Like, you know, so
1: thank you for the reframing of that. Taking up space, especially a queer, trans, non-conforming body, is dangerous. And that's what I learned in my hate crime situation. Because I was like, I'm not going to be subservient. You're going to say things to me, and I'm just not going to take it today. And that some of us make ourselves small, not because we want to, but because the world polices us and harms us. If we wear what we want to wear, if we act how we want to act, Like we will be killed or harmed or you know fired or right. other things that happen to us so i don't think it's anything that we want to do we just we decide we have to make these calculations
0: right thank you um my last question is a two-prong yeah. question it's yeah. something i ask all the peoples that comes to my shows um i'm a complicated person so i like to ask complicated uh questions so is there anything that you and I did not cover t- today? Are you surprised that I didn't ask you a question about something? Um, were you like, oh, okay, well, damn, we're all ready to the end. It's been an hour and a half. It never feels like it. I always have anxiety and trepidation. So that's why I kept saying, thank you for understanding. I've had a very full day, I had to work today and then I, my my child. Um, but you were very understanding, so I appreciate it. But is there anything that I didn't give space to or you're surprised I didn't ask you? And then the second part of the question is, who would you like to see on the show? Not that you watch my show, but who would you like to see on the show?
1: Well, what didn't get up dungeon today or space is my t-shirt. And so- I, if- <laughs> I want to talk about the t-shirt.
0: No, we have to pause. Because this t-shirt, can you stand up so you could show the people, no. and I'll describe it?
1: Yes, so I- this
0: is the dark-skinned uh, character from a goofy movie, and end. what does the shirt say?
1: Powerline is is his name. Uh, mm-hmm. The musical stylings of Tevin Campbell for the 90s babies out there. And it's uh, a world tour shirt, 94. So I raised this because the Goofy movie, a Goofy movie, is to me one of the greatest Disney movies ever made. And ever
0: made. They let Tevin C- Campbell
1: sing his ass off She's in that entire hand. movie. And the dance. Eye the- to that's eye. It. That's it. And so it's slept on. And that's it. <laughs> it's underrated, you know, my circle. Like, you're not in the circle if you don't know what this is. Right. <laughs> There's vetting uh, mechanisms in that. Um, and like part of my, I don't know, my existence, my self expression has been through my clothing. And I've been mm-hmm. really fortunate to, I don't know, be in spaces where I feel like I can, I push those boundaries. I wear what I wanna wear, I do what I right. want to do. Um, Shout out to, amazing queer spaces spaces that are celebrating people who are wearing clothes that they want or making clothes that we want, like Stuzo, um, out in LA, Dapre Q, right? All these different platforms um, that are highlighting queer and trans folks. Um, yeah, so I just wanna throw that out there. That That is, so it's, it's dangerous, but for me, it's been a, a really important part of my identity and my journey is finding a, a, an expression that makes me feel like me. So cutting my hair, wearing hair, wearing my hair how I want to, wearing clothes that I want to, um, has been a, a revolutionary practice. And it is because it's fucking dangerous. <laughs> and who do I want to see on the show? Who do I want to see? Well, first of all, your lineup is like amazing and ridiculous. Like you bring so many great people here. I love um, compliments. Oh. I grew my hair just for these compliments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to... And you know, as we get back to you, I'm like... Who
0: yeah, is, no, I would really love to hear um who you would suggest. A lot of people... because I know, you know,
1: I know that Elle has been on the show. Has Erin? Yes. Did I mention Erin Lang before?
0: I have not emailed Erin Lang, but I could.
1: I would because she published or posted something on Instagram um, where she was talking about, and I don't want to misquote her, so I, I suggest folks watch it, but like what is necessary in this moment she's like are you willing to like die for black liberation right now Mm. Um, and she was talking about like not just like end of your life but killing the parts of you that want to succeed in this system and that was like that's some (laughs) shit like I had to pause I was like on a train leaving Philly coming to Boston and I heard that I was like whoa Um, so yeah so I would say Aaron Lang always
0: okay I'll reach out to Aaron.
1: I will thank you
0: Thank you. Um,
1: Kay, I
0: have had an amazing time with you. I am thrilled that you are my guest. I feel like um, your support of Black Lives Matter Cambridge has been um, one of the instrumental tenants and in, like helping shape things. Um, come, me coming in and feeling like, okay, this is a person I can lean on for support when I need stuff. Um, that has really made me feel supported. And um, I just want to mention one thing, I wasn't going to say it, but I just want to say why I feel supported. I remember there was an incident, I'm not going to go into it, but I was like, I reached out to you because you were like, whoa, what's happening? And I told you about it and you were like, I feel like that person's experience is valid, but also this is what you've meant to me. Yo, that shit floored me. And that's what I mean about the duality of like taking accountability for something like Um, you know, Mama J and Iraq tell me all the time, you are not the sum, you are not the totality and the sum of your greatest mistake. And so to hear you, you told me that in 2016, I was pregnant with Egypt. And I'll never forget it. And I just I've always carried that with me. So thank you. And thank you for being a guest on the show. Um, And thank you for the work that you do and your visibility, even when it's dangerous. I appreciate it, because there are those who are not able to be as visible because when they are it does mean certain death so thank you for your work and thank you for your efforts
1: thank and you. i hope
0: that you have an amazing evening
1: thank you i just want to thank you for being you saying all the things that need to be said the bravery the courage that comes with speaking truth to power all the time Your phenomenal organizing the thousands and thousands of people that you've helped mobilize in boston and beyond um, so yeah just grateful being community with you so thank you so much
0: I hope that you have an amazing evening. I hope that everyone watching has an amazing evening. You're not going to make me fucking cry. I hate it here. And I...
1: <laughs> it's the same
0: <laughs> This has been another amazing episode of The Full Set. And I hope y'all have a great evening.
1: Thank you, everybody.
0: All right, peace.
1: That's funny. I'm going to move that to the folks.
0: <laughs> okay, you got the money. They need to send you more money. That's the problem.
1: <laughs> so I hope
0: everyone has a good night. Thank you. Bye.